Welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker book podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. Richie, knock me down with the feather of a Sheffield Wednesday owl. You <laughs> found us a player. I have indeed, yes, and I have our friends at Twitter to thank once again, uh, my main source, this this podcast. And timing, what I will say is tiny, timing is so key when we ask a timing. player. Yeah, ti- <laughs> the word I'm looking for is timing. Timing yeah, okay. is so key when we ask a player if they're interested. Thankfully, I timed it right with the one and only John Newsom. Um, sadly, I haven't always timed it right with many, many, many others. And we can add Peter Schmeichel to that list. Even though he's got a new book coming out, no interest in coming on. I referred to him a couple of weeks ago. I had a crack um, this week at Jamie Lawrence of Leicester. Now, I know um, the Switched On listeners of us uh, of the podcast will know we've just had Watsy on of Leicester. Okay, I get that. But if you see a player has been active on Twitter in the last few minutes... You've just got to strike while well and hot and, and try and try and get them. No response. So still an issue on timing, but you know we're giving it a go. Mm. Matthew, tell me, have you made any headway? Well, ac- sort of accidentally, I've made headway this morning. In fact, okay, I okay. Just you know, Come on. I'm up having my coffee, mm-hmm. um, sitting, looking out at the wonderful view of my house, and I just tweeted something, a, a, a goal that Alan Shearer scored. In the early 2000s, mm-hmm. um, indirect free kicks from Nobby Solano against West Bromwich Albion. Indirect? Yeah. In the it's, box? It's, it's seven yards out. Wow. And uh, they had a routine where Nobby would, would pretend to roll it to Shearer and then point at the encroaching defenders. Then as they as they were ret- retreating, mm-hmm. he would roll it to Shearer and Shearer blast it in the net. It worked a treat so many times. I can picture Shearer so, absolutely smashing it in. Yeah, I can picture it. It's great. It's, I'll, I'll share it on our Twitter the, at the Shiny Pod, but... I, t- I tweeted it, right? And I'm not even, this is not even bullshit. I tweeted this at half seven this morning, tagged Nobby and Shearer, mm-hmm. pressed tweet. Yeah. Immediately got a like. Guess who Guess who it was? Nobby Solano. Shearer. You're joking. No. The first like was Alan Shearer. It's been on today. It's it's had over 1,500 likes, this video. Wow. Um, Shearer, I'm not even, I swear down, you know, I swear down on uh, on Nobby Solano's life. That Shiro was the first like. So what? And, uh, interesting. What time of day was this then? So half seven thirty three a.m. So we know that Shiro's on Twitter roughly seven thirty each morning, listeners. So if you want to <laughs> get on there and hound him to come on the show, that's the time to do it. Well, I'm wondering if I hound him. Well, of course. I might, you, what do you I mean? Might have to slide so, in the DMs. What do you mean you're I'm scared. wondering? I'm scared. I'm scared. Are you, I'm scared. I, honestly, here I am. I will do it. Flinging message around willy nilly. <laughs> <laughs> And you won't even front of the book. Shearer. He's Come on the front of the book. What a finale to that season that would be. I know. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to I'm gonna man Come up. On. I'll do it after this. Big Al. He loves a podcast as well. The Match of the Day top 10 ones, they're, they're decent. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's well versed well, in, in the he's, podcast. He's busy. He's a busy podcaster. So whether he's got time for us, I don't know. But I'll man up. After we finish recording this introduction for John Newsom, I'll, I'll tweet him. All right. Okay. Well, speaking of, of John Newsom, this is a great podcast for two main reasons. Me and Ketch. But more specifically, this episode is particularly important as we delve deeper into a few big names from the 90s, two of whom I want to draw your attention to straight away because we've heard their names multiple times on the pod over the last two seasons. Number one is the man who adorns the front of the book alongside Shearer, and that is, of course, Eric Cantona. Mm-hmm. His name has been mentioned in pretty much every episode we've done, often as the shiny player. This is the first time we've peeped behind the curtain, so to speak. So John played with him at Leeds United and gives an insight into his time there prior to his uh, transfer to Man United. 
Mm-hmm. Great to hear. Great to hear some Cantona stuff. It actually builds on something which um, Daryl Powell mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, the one and only, the Enigma, David Batty. So yes. Bridgie told a belter of a story about him a few weeks ago, uh, and about his biggest fantasy being to catch a burglar in his house, which was quite a stark reality. <laughs> we get more juice from John on bats, so listen out for that. Yeah. And for the first time, I think, we get a bit serious on Searching for Shinies. I don't want to give out any spoilers, but found ourselves discussing a particularly big topic from football history, and I produced easily the most poignant moment in Searching for Shinies history. Uh, It's quite a low bar, granted, Mm. but wow, fascinating to hear what John told us. I wasn't expecting that at all, Mm -hmm. so listen out for that. He also uh, spoke about two heroes of mine, sadly two players who are no longer with us as well, Gary Speed and Pavel Cernicek. Just great stories, having played with both of those, shared mm. dressing rooms with them, loved that. Um, and John's final ever game of football turned out to be a really famous Newcastle match that I was at right at the end of the 90s. So from a personal point of view, this recording was an absolute joy. Yeah, and and um, John is quite a stern Yorkshireman, but this I found to be one of the funniest podcasts because we got yeah. to do something which we love to do which is just to reel off a list of names of 90s players and he's just giving the lowdown of what they're each like off the pitch so loved when we got into that section of the podcast yeah loved hearing from John proper man's man pint of bitter pork scratchings racing post <laughs> golf no nonsense I'd, I'd go to battle with him strikes me as a proper leader and uh Listen, he starts off slow, but really quickly gets up to speed with the beautiful 1990s nonsense that we crave here at Searching for Shinies. And the end product is another fantastic episode. So mm. hope you enjoy it, listener. Here comes Yorkshire's John Newsom. Joining us today is a man who won a top flight league winner's medal in, ni- in the 1990s. He played twice for his boyhood club, Sheffield Wednesday, and operated as one of the tallest fullbacks the decade ever saw. He was sticker number 390 in the book and he made almost all of his 200 plus career appearances exclusively in the 1990s. It's an honour to extend a big shiny welcome to Chef Weds, John Newsom. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for the uh, the very kind intro. Yeah, you're welcome. Great to have you on. Now, John, we ask all of our guests at the start of the show to see if they can name the 15 other stickers that appear alongside you in the 1997 Premier League book. You were a Chef Wed. Do you think you can remember the other teammates who might be around you on the spread in the book here? Let's give it a go, shall we? 96, right. 97, yeah. 97, Kevin Pressman, Pavel yeah. Cernicek. Um, didn't have a sticker. Didn't have a sticker? Mm, right, okay. Peter Atherton. Yes, he had a sticker. Uh, Ian Nolan. Yes. Um, 97, 97. Um, David Hurst. Yes. Yeah, right. Let oh, me get this So 96, 96, 97. 96, 97. Uh, David Erst. Um, Stefan. Uh, oh, Stefan Stevanovic. Dejan Stevanovic, yes. sorry. De- Dejan Stevanovic, yes. Dejan Stevanovic. Uh, <laughs> right, all right, all right. Reggie Blinker. Of course. Orlando Trustful. Mark Pemberton. Didn't, yeah. Uh, Mark Pembridge, yeah. not Pemberton. Mark Pembridge. Yeah. Mark Pembridge. Yeah, you got seven. Um, uh, come on, think. De- uh... oh, goodness me, it's hard when you start thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I don't think it was. No, it wasn't Vim Yonk and and all that lot. They weren't there yet. They weren't there then. Um, Not yet. Scott Oaks. Yes, that's a good one. Lee Briscoe. Didn't have a sticker, but he was in the squad. Matt Clark. Didn't have a sticker, but was in the squad. Yeah, he was. He didn't have a sticker though. <sighs> Come on, uh, Alexanderson. No, legendary defender. You never get past him. Des Walker. Yes. Which other goalkeeper did we have then? There was you, there was only one goalkeeper. Oh, there was only one on goalkeeper. On right. Page, so. so we're looking at strikers, aren't we? Mark yeah. Bright had gone. Mark Bright. Was Mark Bright there? Mark Bright, you got. Yeah, that's ten you've got. Ah, oh, right. Okay, John Sheridan. Didn't didn't stick it. Chris Waddle. No, Waddle didn't have one. There's a midfielder with a really naughty set of curtains and a little <laughs> goatee. Quite a long, quite a long face. Set of curtains. Doncaster lad. Uh, oh, Graham Hyde. Yeah. I I, I can forget Nobby Steelers. <laughs> um. There's a midfielder who uh, was at the sort of twilight of his career. Quite an illustrious career. He's a Scottish fella. Uh, former Liverpool player. Yes. Yes. Um, my mind's just gone blank. Operating uh, I, in America. I even, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I even roomed with him in Ireland. Go on. Uh, come on, when you put on the spot, it's really difficult, isn't it? Um, Steve Nicholl. Yeah. Last 12. Richie, do you want to give him the last three? Can you work out who we're yeah. missing? I think you mentioned Mark Bright. Got, um, yeah. Guy Whittingham. Ah, oh, mince pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Andy Booth Tommy Tommy Booth and Richie Humphreys Imps (laughs) Great Do you know what's really funny right just before we started I thought I really fancy asking him a question about nicknames in football and you've just reeled off three or four really funny ones so I'd like to start there if I can Go on What Mince Pie did you say? (laughs) Yeah Guy Mince Pie Oh Guy guy. (laughs) Great Do Do you shout that on the pitch? No, I think we call him. Uh, I think we call actually call him Guy or yeah, just Guy. But yeah, whenever you see him, it's mince pie. Yeah, <laughs> Tommy Booth. Um, don't know why that that came about. Somebody called him Tommy, and that was it. That stuck, Tommy <laughs> Booth. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was there? Richie Humphreys, you said. Imps. Oh, okay. Imps. So we had a number plate. He tried to he tried to have a number plate to say Humps, but it said H one one M F S. So <laughs> so it's really just to piss him off, we call him Himps. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the it. Graham Hyde one? Nobby Steelers. Uh, yeah, Nobby Steelers. Yeah, he just played like he just played a bit like Nobby Styles, didn't he? He just like you know what I mean, got around a pitch and stuck his foot in, and that I I, I was a. Um, was the same age group as Graham Hyde, so we played in the. Although he was from Doncaster, we played in like the South Yorkshire boys together from being about fourteen, fifteen. So, so yeah, no, no, he, he had that, he had that one uh, for a long time. What, what? I've got a couple of questions about nicknames. One was: Are there different rules in different clubs? So, for example, when you're at Norwich, was everyone sort of Steely or Oaksy, or whereas at Sheffield, everyone had O on the end of the name, or or is it just? No, no, there's no, there are no unwritten rules. It is, um, I remember that, I mean, for example, what not, not not in this time, but when I was at Leeds, when I just joined Leeds in the early 90s, and at the time they just signed Tony DiRigo, and we went away on Ireland, uh, to Ireland on a trip, 
and um, I think he got a bit of a, a hamstring strain or something. So he came on at half time as sub in this game, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And the announcer announced him as Tommy Dorigo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to this day, he's called Tommy. Yeah. We call him Tommy. <laughs> You mentioned you uh, started your career with uh, Nobby, Nobby Steelers, Graham Hyde. And uh, were you both Chef Wed fans? Or were you always been a Chef Wed fan? It must have been a, a dream, if so, to play for your boyhood club. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think I was six when my father took me and my brother, who was a couple of years older than me, to um, to Hillsborough and stood on the, the, sp- the Spion Cop, the Spion Cop with no roof. And um, yeah, that was that was back in the Division Three days, you know. Um, yeah, so supported them all, all my all my life um, through thick and thin. And obviously, yeah, it was a, it was an absolute dream to to well, it was a dream to get offered an apprenticeship. You know, it was a, it was a dream to be invited down as a twelve year old and then to be offered schoolboy forms and and go on the journey and all the rest of it. So to actually make my debut and, and play for the club was, was yeah, as I say, every every young boy's dream, really. And, and thankfully, you know, I was lucky enough to, to live it as such. Um, so, yeah, amazing, really. Were you, when you got into the club as a professional, one of the great things about the 90s is that you would do kind of the menial jobs around the club, sweeping the dressing room, cleaning the boots. Whose boots did you do? And were you starstruck by any of the first teamers who were around at the time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, so started getting invited, started started getting included into sort of like the du- the under eighteens, under nineteens, intermediate, intermediary side when I was sort of like at school in my fifth, like last last year of school, really fifteen, going on sixteen, and so you'd play on a Saturday morning, and and then if the if the first team had a first team game, you would then be down at the ground, and obviously the first and second year apprentices all had jobs. But because you were the new boy, you got to do all all the really shitty jobs. So um, so yeah, and that was it. You know, first year apprentice, you got jobs. Uh, I had um, Lee Chapman's. I remember I had Brian Marwood's, um, and then I had a two a couple of the sort of like first second year professionals that you had to look after. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it, and, and and back in that day, I mean, the, it, it, that's what the culture was. It was. I mean, you were you were only allowed in the first team dressing room when you were invited in there, you know. You know, you know, it was like, oi, oi, you come here, go and put me a bath on, or oi, get us my boots, or you know, when they got to know your name, obviously they were a bit more, you know, a bit more friendly sort of thing. But you never walked into that dressing room without without being asked or invited. That it was, you you know, that you had to earn your right to get into that dressing room. That's how it. That's how it worked, you know, and and doing the jobs and doing the work and cleaning. It for me, it gave you. Um, I I personally think that it's it's what's missing out of the game to some degree at this moment in time. I do, I do understand that it was at some clubs it was abused, you know, um, clubs that were really short of money. All of a sudden, you've got apprentices going in in the first week of pre season. They've painted the stand. And they've never kicked a ball and never done any fitness work, and you know you were you were, you know, cheap labour really. So I get that that can't happen, but um, but in terms of discipline, having a hierarchy, um, you know, I, I would you know in the second year you sort of had a, a a head boy, so 
who was usually the captain. So I was like captain and head boy, and then you're in con you're in control of all the lads, and you have to answer to the to the uh, youth team manager, who you know I used to go to Mick Hennigan every after. After we'd finished all the jobs every evening and say, you know, jobs are done, Mick, can we get off home? And more times than not, he'd say, yeah, see you tomorrow morning, lads. And every now and again, he'd say, right, let's go and check them. And he'd walk around and, you know, check the tops of doors. Is the dust on them? And are there any boots that are dirty? And if there were, I used to get it in the neck off him. And then I'd go back to whoever, whoever's job it was and then they'd get it in the neck. And we'd have court cases and, you know, kangaroo courts and... Yeah, yeah. So it so it was it was proper, you know, and and, and you governed yourselves as well. But it, it it made you it made you responsible. I think that's the biggest thing that it made. It made you you know accountable and responsible, um, and it made you grow as as individuals. I think. John, one thing we noticed when we were researching your career was when you were eighteen, you were actually at Hillsborough the day of the Hillsborough disaster. Uh, I mean, this is like a a light hearted podcast. You don't have to talk about this if you if you want, but um, I mean. That that day obviously sticks in 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 every footballer supporter's mind who who was around in the eighties. What did that have any effect on you as a as a person? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think I don't think you can experience what what you know what we went through that day and 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 it not have a it's some kind of effect on you. Um, I don't think it affected me as much as some of the other people. Um, you know, that's just being honest. Um, I sort of like dealt with it quite quite well I think uh, but yeah I mean listen a, a, a horrific day um, and, and be yeah witnessing and, and you know we were, we were like I said we were apprentices at the time so we were ball boys we were in charge of of the changing rooms and looking after Liverpool and looking after Nottingham Forest and, and all the rest of it and then uh, and we, we eventually um, you know kicked some of the um, advertising hoardings down, and we we started carrying people down to the to the gymnasium, and and you know tried to help out as much as we could. But you know, seventeen, eighteen year old lads sort of like do really. Um, so yeah, yeah, you know, it was a it was a it was a time that and a day that is is it goes down in history for all the wrong reasons, doesn't it? And you know, it's quite it's quite prevalent really because of what what we experienced and what we witnessed at Wembley on Sunday and. You know, suddenly hordes, hordes of people getting close to the ground and, uh, you know, and forcing the way in and, and, you know, whether whether that's the case and the police not doing the job right, etc., etc. You know, I'm not one here to, to cast aspersions. But, but, yeah, it was not a great day and a tough one for, for the lads who were involved in it. Obviously, a tough one for everybody and especially the people who lost, you know, relatives and that kind of thing. Um, but then, but then off, off the back of that, there were things like... Um, you know the first game that they played at Hillsborough after the after the disaster and and Leppings Lane was closed. It was all cordoned off, but guess what? The balls the balls going to go in there at some point. So we it was a night game against West Ham, I think, and there's two or three of us had to go on and stand on the Leppings Lane and and uh, you know and if, you know if the ball went up the, the ball went up the tunnel, guess what? You had to go up the tunnel and get the ball back and you know a few just daft little things like that that. People off, people who weren't there don't appreciate it, sort yeah. of thing. But um, so yeah, yeah, it was. Um... That's amazing. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't realize that you know you were that close to it, and then fair play, amazing reaction from you as an eighteen-year-old to 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 help out and, and get involved and do what do what you can, and then to be back there so soon by yourself in a night game. 
I've stood on that stand as a supporter, and there's there's something there. There is you feel something when you stand on that. I think and personally, I felt I felt something. So amazing that you reacted that way, and amazing that you were there shortly afterwards fetching loose balls. That's, that's I didn't realize that at all. At the end of the day, that was your job. You know, that was our job, and you know, as um, you know, when 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 we knew the game was was going ahead, and and the lads, we were, we all got together as apprentices and said, right, who's who's going to do it, and. Being the head boy and being the captain of the of the youth team, and you know, I just felt that I was going to be one of them because nobody was going to volunteer to do it by you know in any stretch of the imagination. So, so the two or three of us who went on there and and did it, and just one of those things, isn't it? That you you want it you want it to be over and done with as quickly as you can. But um, you know, the club were all right. The club, I think, after the after the disaster, the they. Um, you know they offered us counselling if we wanted to take it and that kind of thing, um, so so yeah they you know I think they tried to look after us the best that they could but but that's 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 the real I think that's the real hard thing about anything like that isn't it you know people lose relatives and their the world has stopped in in reality and and yet everybody else's world continues you know and, and life goes on doesn't it and that's that's the that's the hardest thing I think for people to get their heads around yeah. Amazing. Well, thanks for talking about that. And it obviously sparked a, a clean-up in football that produced the 90s, which is a beautiful decade, amazing, mm-hmm. special decade to a lot of fans, which we're, we're going to proceed to talk about now. So, yeah, thanks for talking about that. And um, Richie's got a question yeah, no, about, about your debut, which... Yeah, so <laughs> so on a, on a bright note, you've made your debut what looks like... So I think you're 18 at the time of Hillsborough. You're 19 when you make your debut for Arsenal. It looks like you've come on in a 5-0 defeat to Arsenal. Is that is that right? You're quite an ominous start. Yeah, I, I, I was put into the squad, and um, and they were, I think, was it five five nil or six nil something like five nil was it? And there was about two minutes to go, a minute to go, two minutes to go. And Big Ron said, "Right, get strip, you're going on." And I was I thought, oh, <laughs> five nil down. So he went right, you're going on at right bike, and playing left wing for Arsenal at the time was Brian Marwood, whose boots I used to clean. So I remember going on and, and, and I ran on and, and Brian Morwood said something like, oh, you know, for God's sake, I've got apprentices marking me now. And that was like the welcome to to to, to football, really. And um, I was only on there a minute or so. I think, we, I think we had a corner, we defended a corner and, we you know, before I knew it, the, the whistle had gone and, and, and we were off and, and and that was the end of it, really. But, Clean sheet um, then. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a bit of a strange one, really. <laughs> and Big Ron is the is the man who handed you your your senior debut. That's exactly the type of name we want to hear on this podcast. Big nineties football character like Ron. Steve Chettle was one of our first guests, and he told us that Ron liked to join in training. This is when he was at Forest in the late nineties, so he must have been getting very stuck in in, in the early nineties, <laughs> late eighties at Chef. Where is that correct? Uh, yeah, he, he quite fancied himself as a bit of a bit of a bit of a player, did Ron? Um, <laughs> yeah, he used to join in five aside or you know eight aside, whatever we were doing. And um, yeah, if um, if his team got beat, you he then made you run, which inevitably, if you were on Ron's side, you were running after after the five aside, really. So um, so yeah, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't great. In, in that respect. Uh and he used to play on the wing, he used to play like on a right wing with his cap on and and he's and a, and a, sometimes he used to have a um a, like a black bin liner 
under his top, obviously to try and lose a bit of weight. And <laughs> so yeah, I, I, but I do you know I do recall, especially in those early days, and, and then a bit later in like ninety six, ninety seven when he came back. But the the lads used to get stuck into him a little bit. You know, if he wanted to play, then he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there were a few, um, yeah, there were there were a few um, tasty tasty challenges used to go in on him now and again. <laughs> Fair play. I love that he's got a bin bag on to try and keep the weight off. Is it? Did he have anything else like that? Did he have a sunbed at the training ground or any other uh, regime not, that we should know about? I, I, I don't know. I only, I only got. I think he only got into his office once or twice. Um, I, I, I never saw sunbed in there, but he, he was always tanned up, and <laughs> you know, uh, Ron was Ron was Ron, wasn't he? You know, he was well known for some of his funny one-liners and, and getting quotes and sayings wrong. Um, sitting in the wrong dugout, of course, at Forest, and then there's the famous interview with Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, where he throws his headset at the sound guy. Can you remember any funny things that he did and uh, uh, in your time under him? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I had a few runnings with him really back in, when I when I went back. Um, so basically, what happened was with, with with me was I I I'm sort of like made my debut and played sort of like six or seven games, and then. And and then was dropped out of the squad and and never never got in the squad ever again, basically. So um, while just after I'd made my debut, he gave me he called me in and said, "You've done really well. I want to give you a new contract. I want to give you another year because I'd only signed a one year professional contract, the first one." He said, "I want to give you another year extension, and I'll give you a fifty pound a week rise." So that to me, I was like, you know, great, brilliant. I, Signed that, and that that was it. I, I never, I never got into a, I never even travelled with the the squad ever again, until the very last game of the season, in my second year. And um, and all of a sudden, I was in the squad, and I thought, well, that's really strange. You know, we're playing Oldham away, um, and not only was he in the squad, he actually played me. So I'd gone from I'd had sort of like eighteen eighteen months in the wilderness playing in the playing in the reserves and and to be to be fair I've been playing in the reserves since I was probably like fifteen sixteen so uh, when it came to the end of my contract he offered me a new contract uh, and I just said I don't want to sign it because I want to play first team football you know I'm not playing first team football here I'm playing reserve team football I've been doing that for the last four or five years and I want to go and play first team football. Um, to which he didn't take kindly, um, and had a few. He he had a few words to say to me in his office uh, about you know where I thought I was going to go and what I thought who I thought I was and etc cetera, etc cetera. and and obviously he didn't he, you know he didn't like that that side of it um, and you know and off I went sort of thing not knowing where where I was going to go or what I was going to do really I just just felt that I need I needed to leave the football club and. And go and pursue my career and and try and if it meant dropping down the leagues and playing you know even non league football if that's my level then that's my level sort of thing, uh, so that's where I got to, um, and then uh, and then obviously fast forward Norwich bring me back uh, Sheffield Wednesday buy me from Norwich bring me back to Hillsborough under David Plea everything's going well, David Plea gets a psych, who comes walking through the door, <laughs> big Ron. <laughs> yeah. So the rest, the rest is history, yeah. as you would imagine. Actually, we'll get to that. Actually, we're working our way through chronologically. Was that fallout with Ron what led to the Leeds move then? Well, in all honesty, I had absolutely no idea where I was going to go. You know, um, I went home that night 
And, uh, you know, I was, I was 20 years of age. I was living at home with my mum and dad. And I went home and told them that I'd turn my contract down and effectively I was unemployed, you know, um, which, which again, I, you know, I look back now, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old now and I look back and think, what, what were you doing at 20? <laughs> I mean, I had not, you know, there was no agents, there was no advice. It was just, it yeah. was just, I felt that I needed to, I needed to move on to progress my career. Um, and there was a tiny little piece in the local newspaper, the Sheffield Star, and then a couple of days later, I got a phone call from Mick Ennigan, who'd gone up to Leeds with Howard Wilkinson, uh, and said, you know, I understand you've turned your contract down. Um, the gaffer wants to see you in Le- at Leeds tomorrow. Uh, the gaffer being Howard Wilkinson. So he said, right, be at Ellen Road for, you know, half past ten in the morning. So so that's what I did. You know, I jumped in the car the following morning, drove up to Leeds, um, Walked in, El- walked in Ellen Road, and the first thing Mick Hennigan said to me was, "Where's your dad?" Because Howard, wa- you know, the gaffer won't speak to you without your dad being here. Which um, I thought, you know, I look back now and think, you know, that's quite a respectful thing to do, isn't it? You know what I mean? As a twenty-year-old lad, so I had to, you know, get my dad out of work, and he had to make his way up to Ellen Road, and and then Howard just said, you know, I want you here. I want you playing in my first team this year. You know, I think you're good enough. Um, I'm going to give you a three-year contract, um, uh, but but you but you know you better be breaking into my first team this year, and that's what I wanted to hear. You know, that's what you know signing for somebody who who knew who, what I was about, and 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 you know, but effectively did promise me that I was in the in the team, but basically said, you know, I think you're good enough, so you you know come here and prove yourself, and you'll get in the team, and and he was good to his word. To be fair to him, and this is the last season. So when you joined Leeds, it's the last season before the Premier League, Premier League launched, uh, and what proved a very yeah. successful one for Leeds, winning the Division One title. Um, of course, propelled to glory by the signing of an exotic talisman. So, can you tell us about Tony Dorigo? <laughs> Tommy yeah. Dorigo. Yeah, Tommy Dorigo. Tommy Dorigo. <laughs> oh, I mean, what a machine! He's like a Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Joking aside, he won yeah, the club's player yeah. of the season that year. I mean, I look back now. I look back now, and obviously, I was a young lad then. I was twenty years of age, just turning, you know, not not far off turning twenty-one. And 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 you've come from, you've come through a, a youth setup where you're winning things, and then you're playing in a reserve team setup where you're winning things, and then you get to Leeds, and all of a sudden you're winning things, and you're like, wow, this is this is amazing, but. You know, your career finishes like mine did, and you look back, and and that dressing room was was the best dressing room that I ever played in, in terms of characters and players, and I was just really fortunate to to be involved in that. In all honesty, you know, you know, I would bought me that 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 summer. Um, I had a problem with my knee. I had, a, I had to have an operation on my knee, so that sort of like curtailed the first two or three months of the season. Uh, and when I got fit, he he was good for his word, and he and he put me in. And uh, Mel Sterling had got a real problem with his ankle, and and um, and I would you know chuck me in at right back, and and I played the last sort of like eight ten games of the season, and uh, you know of the running, and scored a couple of goals, and 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 was just really fortunate to play with you know really really exceptional footballers mm. and and characters as well. And what's crazy is that you. Just said a minute ago that you you were leaving Sheffield thinking oh, I'll just go and play non-league somewhere. You're also injured by the sounds of it, and the next season you win the top division title. That that is madness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I was fit. You know, I was fit all season. I, I I picked up a bit of a knee injury in, in pre-season, 
Um, so I don't know, we, you know, I didn't know what it was, but it, it, it turned out that they, they had to do an operation and, and, and do some bits and bobs on it. Um, and, and then, yeah, then, I mean, you're pinching yourself, aren't you? Because it's just, you know, this is just ridiculous, you know what I mean? It's like eight, eight, nine months ago, I'm out of contract. I've turned a contract down at Sheffield Wednesday, you know, big runs, effing and jeffing at me in his <laughs> office saying, where you, you know, where you, where are you going? Where are you going to play then? Barnsley, Rotherham. <laughs> Blah blah blah, and <laughs> and 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 the next minute, you know, I'm scoring at Bramall Lane, and we've won the league. And you're like, this is just ridiculous. This. Did you give him a buzz after that one? <laughs> Hello, Ron. I've done all right for myself. No, no, no league no, winners no. medal. I've I, I, I've never had his phone number in all honesty, so it's a probably good job I didn't. But but no, no. We have to ask you about one of the key players in the the title winning season. Cantona has come up a lot in our podcasts. We're going to ask you at the end, you know, who the best you played with or against is we've asked a lot of we've asked all our guests that question and and I'd say at least half of them have said Cantona in term and one of the things that stands out for me is that they said he was quite a big lad and, and was able to use be a physical physical presence as much as a, a a football genius we'd love to hear what it was like to play in the same team as Cantona just as he was he's starting to really crank his career up yeah I mean when he came in um we obviously didn't really know who he was that kind of thing but he, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, a complete athlete, you know, physical presence. He, he was good at everything that was asked of him. So Howard was, as, as I say, we, we were a really fit, strong strong side. You know, we did lots of running, lots of fitness work. He, he you know, he ate that up. He, he was fine doing that. Um, he was one of the lads. He joined in, you know, if we went for a midweek, get together and a beer, he would come out and join in with the lads uh and and was all you know overall a you know a real real good guy um you know i think the one thing i would say is that yes yeah he, he, he you know the last last part of the season he played i think he played i don't know how many games he played for Leeds in, at the end of that season but i think it was like maybe 12 games 11 to 12 games or something and um and and yes he did have he did play a part in 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 helping the team win the league but um but the the real for me the players who won the league were the lads who you know your Strackens, your Sterlings, your Faircloughs, your Whites, your Speeds, your Batties who played, you know thirty, thirty five, forty games. They they were the guys who won who won the league that 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 season. And um, I think it's just a little bit unfair sometimes that I I had it with a a Sheffield Wednesday fan actually a few few weeks ago who put something on Twitter and, and tagged me in and said oh you know if if Sheffield Wednesday had uh, kept hold of Cantona, we'd have won the league instead of Leeds because he went to he went to Ellen Road and 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 he he won the league for you, and I was like, well, I didn't really work like that, mate. You know what I mean? And and you start pointing out the facts, and and he was amazed, this guy, and he and he and to be fair to him, he, he you know he apologised and said, you know, I got I got it completely wrong. I thought he went to Ellen Road and played like maybe twenty five goals games and scored ten goals that season and. That wasn't actually the case, you know what I mean? And I think it's a bit unfair on, on the other lads who, who actually did do that kind of stint, you know? Yeah, it unravelled a bit for him. Towards the end of 92, he transfer request had gone in, he stopped turning up for training. And and people look back and think, why did Leeds get rid of Cantona? But at the time, I think it was seen as good business and taking a, a player who'd stopped really performing, taking him out of the team um, and moving on. Is that how you saw it as well, John? Yeah, I mean, uh, we 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 played QPR away, and 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 you know, I'll try I'll try and condense it as much as I can. But he was obviously at, at, at Logreds with the manager. He'd, he'd said on the 
I think on the Thursday or the Friday, he'd, you know, he'd not been picked to play in the team and all of a sudden he got a thigh strain. So he went in, didn't see the physio, just went home, travelled with us to the game. We, The thing about Howard was, it was everything was meticulous. So the gaffer was everything meticulous. So, you know, you've got a meeting at one o'clock in this room, make sure your bills are paid at the hotel for anything you've had. So you were clubs, club suit, tie, Sat in the room at five to one at the latest because the meeting was starting at one. Well, at 20 past one, Eric's not turned up and he comes then sauntering through the door in a pair of jeans and a purple Versace jacket and T-shirt and you know what I mean? It's like throwing, it's just like throwing an hand grenade in there, isn't it? And, and it, you know, there was a, there were a few words spoken between him and the gaffer and, and off he went, you know, he out, out the door he went and Monday morning, Oh, I think Monday after training, it just came out that he'd he'd, he'd been sold, and I could I could fully understand it because he was, he he didn't want to be there. He'd fallen out with the manager, and he didn't want to be there. So you know, Howard can get criticised as much as he could, but I think anybody in that position would have probably done the same kind of thing. You know, and who, who would have foreseen that he was going to, going to go to Manchester United and do what he did? You know. So I'm just want to go back to that hotel room you were talking about there, or that meeting room. So he's turned up in his purple jacket. As players, are you sort of looking around, sniggering, or is it really tense? Like, describe the atmosphere in that room. Uh, all in it, all, all of the above, really, because <laughs> you you are you are amazed. I mean, because Gaffer's going because uh, he he, he um, used to room with Lee Chapman, so he's saying, "Chappie, where is he?" Uh, and, Chap- and Lee Chapman's saying, well, he knows what time it is, Gaffer. You know, like, I'm here. You know, right, OK, so we wait 10 minutes, wait 15 minutes. I think he'd started the team talk. I think he'd started doing his bit and then the door opened and he walked in and he sat at the back and he was looking out the window. I was I was sat sort of like down near the front, so I couldn't really see, but a couple of lads have told me that he was sat like looking out the window and Howard was like doing his talk and saying, are you listening yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, and and, and I, I think what had happened is they, I, th- I think they must have had some agreement that he was going going to go back to to France after the game, so we were coming back from Loftus Road. We were going to travel back to Leeds on the coach, but he was going to the airport in London and flying back to France, and he basically I would just said, you know, there's your passport, do one sort of thing, and he walked down with a big smile on his face and picked up his passport and as he walked off he just said bye boys oh, that was it and that was the last we saw didn't him didn't say au revoir wow. <laughs> the, obviously the winning the league put you into the charity shield and I noticed there was a thrilling 4-3 with Liverpool at the start of the 92-93 season Cantona got a hat-trick and the game, I think, is famous for Strachan's hilarious on goal, right at the death, which was a bit academical because it was a, I think you were winning four two at the time, but he'd come on for you on eighty four minutes, so you should have probably been on the back stick, but Gordon Strachan was instead. Well, no, I mean, I, I obviously this, you know, being tall and being a defender, I'd have been probably picking up one of the players, but yeah, he came on. Okay. He took me off for like five, five, six minutes to go, and and struck, and then he sort of like gets it stuck between his feet a little bit, and he and he and it goes in. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- I mean, th- listen, thankfully we, we, you know, we were winning and and we won. So yeah, I, I, and again, just uh, just yeah, just one of them, one of them moments that you pinch. I, I'd never been to Wembley. I'd never, I'd never played there. Mm. You know, I'd never been. 
to watch my team because Sheffield Wednesday had never been there at that time, at that point in my my lifetime. Um, so, yeah, to go and play at Wembley and, and be on the winning side. And I remember it was like the hottest day ever. It was like really... Yeah. And obviously your, your nerves have kicked in and you're really nervous and you're getting out there and... So, uh, so yeah, just another one of those times where you know I look back and pinch myself and think, "Wow, you know, what we, what would you, would you have believed somebody if they'd have told me when I was thirteen, fourteen that I was going to do that? I'd have, I'd have laughed in the faces, really." Yeah, I, I just, just the the own goal again. I've just got, I've just got to go back to. It. I was, I was watching it and and I thought, oh, it, tiredness has kicked in there for Strachan, but he's literally been on the pitch minutes. <laughs> So he can't even. It looks like a really clumsy, tired attempt to clear the goal. Did Did you discuss it with him afterwards? Go, Gordon. What, I think. He what, just, what I, think I think. I think. Strike being strike, he would just have. He'd have just laughed about it, and yeah, you know, you know. What I mean, he was. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. I mean, listen. He, he he was he was he was a great. He, and he is still a great guy. You know what I mean? He's he's mm. one of the most one of the most down to earth individuals and and. Um, he, he he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant for not just for me, but for everybody at that football club. I think he was he was a real, real shrewd signing by Howard, um, and he used to gaffer. He used to gaffer the dressing room, you know, um, and 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 you know, knock you down a peg or two. And he did it with me when I got you know a bit above my station, and he would knock you down a peg or two and put you back in your place. And at the time, you didn't like it, did you? Because somebody's having a bit of a dig at you, but. You know, as you get a bit older and wiser, you look back and think, "Wow, that that's just what I needed at the time." And he was brilliant, really was. Mm. L- looking at your career, John, you played with with some really iconic British footballers. There's a couple I wouldn't mind asking you about as a Newcastle fan. The first is um, David Batty. <laughs> There's lots lots of tales about Batty not really being into football and very casual about it off the pitch. And we actually posted a picture of him this week because he hasn't been really seen since he retired and it was a picture of him and his dog he, they were doing a good luck message for Calvin Phillips put together by Leeds United it was amazing to see him looks exactly like he did when he finished playing um, any idea what he's up to have you been in touch recently with him and, and what was he like off the pitch because we've heard some funny stuff basically I'm surprised they managed to get hold of him in all honesty because he's he's disappeared off he's disappeared off the face of the earth um, yeah um the last time I saw Bats was at uh, Gary Speed's memorial football match uh, in Wales at Cardiff when Wales played like a, a remembrance match for him. That was the last time I saw Bats. Um, nobody sees him, you know. The lads, you know, we've had a couple of get-togethers um, over the last couple of years, oh, well, a couple of years ago before lockdown. We had a bit of a get-together, you know, there was a good... Dozen of us managed to get to Leeds, uh, Ellen Road, and Leeds United, and a couple of three or four of us were working the match day, and some of the other lads came up and watched, and and a couple of the lads were trying to get all of him to come out, but nah, he's not. He done it. He's he don't bother with that. He doesn't entertain it. He really doesn't. He was, um, but he was great. He was brilliant. You know, he was he was crackers. Howard always used to pull me and say, you know, don't be don't be like affected by him because. He could literally, like, turn his game mode on and off like a switch. So you'd be walking down the tunnel, and he'd be like messing around and, you know, making jokes, and and then 
the ball, like the whistle would go, bang, and he would be in full game mode and just, you know, go and smash somebody or, you know what I mean? It, it, and, and, and I would, a few times you said to me, don't you start getting affected by it, you know what I mean? Don't be, you know, you concentrate on your on your own game. And it was like that. He really was like that, but such an underrated player, such an underrated player. I mean, in training, the stuff he did, you know, he never gave the ball away. He'd score goals. Howard, at one point when we were doing set pieces, Howard, Howard once came out with a football and he wrote David Batty's football on it and he said, here, go. And he'd make him go down to the other end of pitch and, and just pretend like like a little kid, go, go and score goals in that other goal while we're doing set pieces because he just... He couldn't like stand still and concentrate mm. and watch what we were doing. <laughs> and and, and at that, that. On that point, we we turn we turn round and he's like knock like smashing balls in the back of the net and then celebrating <laughs> on his own to nobody. And we all stood and watched him. and We were all laughing his heads mm. off because that's that was that was bats. He's just yeah, just what, great what guy. What does he do? Is guy. he is he working now or is he just? Got his feet up, enjoying retirement. Yeah, I think um, by all accounts, he's he's mad into motorbiking. I think he's mad into like super bikes and and all that kind of stuff. And I think he just goes out tootling round on his bikes. And his boys, he had, I know he had two twin boys. I think they'll have they'll have grown up now. And so um, so yeah, I just think he. I don't know. Don't we, nobody really knows what he does because we never see him to ask him really. Probably it's crazy. Well, fair. I can yeah, imagine like, him probably mud wrestling with his lads in the back garden or something. Like <laughs> um, you, you mentioned Gary Speed there. Can you tell us a bit about him as, as a teammate? Yeah, great lad. Great guy. Uh, played against him for um, Sheffield Wednesday intermediates against Leeds. They were always you know, like real tough games against Leeds and Sheffield Wednesday, and you know we used to kick lumps out of each other and. Um, so I played against him a few times and also in the reserves and then yeah the day I the, you know I'd signed funny story actually so the last game of the season in the reserves we played Leeds United I was playing against Bobby Davison Bobby said and I'd, I think I'd maybe kick Bobby or you know he kicked me and I kicked him back or whatever and, and Bob Bob like got a bit you know I'm going to come down and sort you out next week and I'll meet you outside the changing room, outside the players' entrance, and I'm going to give you a clip. And you know, so we were like having a bit of a. And then, lo and behold, that summer I signed for Leeds United. So, my first day I travel up for pre-season. On the way up there, I'm thinking, I'm going to see like this Bobby Davison. You know what I mean? Anyway, I walked in and and uh, Gary Speed was there, and Speedo was like laughing, and Nukes, oh, Nukes, come and change next to me, and like give me a big welcome and. And Bobby, I remember Bobby Davison just said, "Told you you played well that day, didn't I?" <laughs> and he was like, "You know, cool, yeah, yeah, really, really, really brilliant, cool guy." Like, um, and from that day, me and Speedo were just pals. Yeah, we just, we just, you know, um, I moved up to Leeds. I bought a place in Leeds. Um, so we used to do, yeah, we did it. We used to do a lot of things together. You know, for for those first couple of years, and then obviously when I moved down to Norwich, we sort of like lost touch a little bit and. Uh, but yeah, great, great guy, and obviously his, his record speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah, as a Newcastle fan watching him in the late nineties, early two thousands, what struck me was incredibly fit guy, and he seemed to be a bit ahead of himself in terms of looking after his body and stuff like that. Was that right? Yeah, absolutely, and I think that came with with working under Howard. You know, I think that's you know, I think if you ask him before Howard went to Leeds, I think he he probably was like. Every every other footballer where you could have a few beers and could eat what you like and 
and and Howard went in there and and said no no you know we've got to get the best out of ourselves and you know if you if you eat this food it's better for you and and and, and I think I know obviously Gary then you know took that on further and further and 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 Gordon Strachan was the same Gordon Strachan was the same so Gordon Strachan used to have seaweed tablets and do and have like pressure points what he used to rub before the game and yeah they yeah it was mental real yeah real real forward thinking stuff. Mm. Whilst we're on the topic of English midfielders, this is a player that you played with at Sheffield, not not Leeds, I think. I've got, I've got to ask you about Carlton Palmer because Ketch and I hear a lot of funny stories about Carlton Palmer about what he's like as a as a character. Can you yeah? Can you give us some gold CP. dust? Some gold dust. Wow. Um, I was a I think I was an apprentice when CP signed. Um, I think it was Big Ron's like first signing. So, and then I turned pro. So I probably had a couple of years. Player with with Carlton, but I I was obviously like a a young professional at the club. Carlton was, you know, first teamer, um, but yeah, just is is a is a bit like Marmite. I think Carlton, you know, um, I get on all right with him. I always have done. I think when you get to know him, he's actually like a decent a decent guy. But but yeah, he's 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 there's. I mean, like I say, I only had a couple of years with him, really, and and, and off I went. But some of the stories that you get get told about him and the way that he was, and then obviously I I left just before he went to Leeds, so so I passed him really cross. But um, but yeah, you know, he lived, you know, he used to live in Sheffield. I think he's just moved back to Sheffield, so no doubt I'll bump into him again. And but yeah, yeah, he was a he was a character, all right. Mm, we're in discussions to try and get him on the show, but it's a bit of a one-way discussion at the minute. But you never know. We'd love to speak to him. He's a big, again, another big iconic '90s player. So it would be great to get him on. Um, another thing that that winning the league brought was Champions League football. You got to play in the Champions League. And I was looking at the the games. I think you played three times in a big home and away with Rangers that billed as the Battle of Britain at the time and. Leeds lost both games two one, but I heard it was a very tasty atmosphere for the away leg at Ibrox. Yeah, I mean, um, so I think we drew, we played Stuttgart in the first first round, uh, and I didn't play in, in uh, the home or I think it was sub for the for the home game, and then we had to play this like one off game because they played too many foreign players. We had to play this one off game in the in the new camp, so. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so that's it. Was a Friday night, and so we off we went to Barcelona, and I and I played that game, and, and we managed to win the game. Uh, Gordon Strachan and Carl Schutt scored. I think we won two one, and then we got Rangers, the Battle of Britain, and and what they did is they they banned away supporters, so there were no there were no tickets for Leeds United fans at Ibrox. So, uh, and I have to say, sort of like the. The five ten seconds before you kick off, when all the balls go off the pitch and the the crowd start, you know, coming up and that that I've got to say that is the loudest I have ever heard in a football stadium. It was, it was literally. I remember Gary McAllister was probably five yards away from me and I was shouting at the top of my voice and I've got a bit of a loud voice, you know what I mean. He could not hear a single thing. It was it was unbelievable. The, the the noise was incredible, and within a minute, Macker had scored a volley, and you could hear a pin drop in the place. You know, because there was no away fans. All you could hear was really was our was the gaffer and probably four or five of the subs on the bench jumping up and down and screaming. But Ibrox was silent, 
so yeah, the contrast, the extremes were were unbelievable. So we've reached the mid nineties now, John. Well, ninety four, ninety five, and all of a sudden you're off to Norwich. One million pound move. Did that come out of the blue? You're obviously a Yorkshire lad. Was this a, a move that you were told you had to do, or or, or were you having well, what, happened, what happened? We were, we'd finished the season, uh, and I got a phone call from a, a reporter who who I'd done a few bits and pieces with, like a couple of interviews after games and that kind of stuff. And he just said, "Look, I'm, I just thought I'd let you know that Norwich have had a bid accepted for you, but I know you guys are always the last ones to to find out. So I just thought I'd give you the heads up. Don't say anything to anybody, but." But I just thought I'd let you know. So I was like, all right, cool, you know, thanks for letting me know sort of thing. And do I believe it or not? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know. I'd, I'd not experienced it before, you know what I mean? So, and then it was about two weeks later, I got a phone call, uh, got home, I got an answer machine message from Howard's secretary saying, the manager would like to see you tomorrow. Could you come down to the ground? This was in the close season. So I thought, mm, here we go. Uh, went down to see Howard and he just said, Dead honest and up front with me, he just said, look, I'm signing somebody else tomorrow. They're going to play instead of you. We've accepted a bid off Norwich. Would you like to go and speak to them? So for me, it was like, well, yeah, you know, if if, if, if that's the way that it is, then obviously, yeah, I'll, I'll go down. And so off I went the following day and liked what I saw with Norwich uh, and, and uh, yeah, and it ended up signing there. You were immediately given the armband. You won player of the season but Norwich unfortunately went down. Was that did were you playing the best football of your career at that is that at that stage? That yeah, I think I was. I think I, I think I played the best football of my career that's it, maybe that season and um and it was incredible, you know. I mean, I did a podcast not long ago for, for Norwich City and I was looking at the stats and I think on Boxing Day we were sixth in the league. Yeah, with with something like thirty points. And and we we went. There was four teams went down that season. We got relegated with forty two points that season, and uh, and the and the club had the club were financially struggling, and they'd sold two or three strikers, and we didn't replace them. And Brian Gunn got injured, which was a real real miss for us. Uh, and it was a culmination of of all manner of things, and 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 it was a. It was a travesty that we got relegated. In all honesty, because you know, up until you know, halfway through the season, we—I mean—to to accumulate thirty points and be six in the league, you're doing something right. And then to get, you know, so so few points in the second half of the season was was hard work, really. Um, so yeah, but I thought I play. I was playing well. There were a couple of clubs. There were clubs coming in for me after we got relegated. Um, and Aston Villa came in for me. Uh, they put a bid in, and the chairman pulled me in and said, "Look, I don't want you to go. I want you to stay. I want I want you to. I want us to have a real go at getting back in the Premier League." And and I felt a loyalty to the football club, in all honesty, because you know I was I was as responsible as anybody else for us being relegated because I you know I was playing in that team, so so I was happy to stay and 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 give it a go. And um, I think unfortunately. Things off the field didn't start working out. Martin O'Neill came in. I think he'd been promised promised things that didn't come to the fore, and and then I was told like there was you know another couple of clubs that were interested, and, and it all got a little bit messy towards the end, really. Once again, Searching for Shinies is brought to you by our good friends at Classic Football Shirts. They've given us, and by us I mean you, listener, 
a lovely little discount code to enter at checkout. Just type in the shiny pod, shiny with an E, at checkout on classicfootballshirts.co.uk for 10% of any purchase. Do you know, Richie, they've got half a million shirts available to buy on their website. It's I didn't, it's I didn't literally... know. Did you tell me you didn't count them all? I didn't count them all. I, I would like to buy them all, but it's literally mind-boggling stuff. And uh, I thought we could have a nice little 1990s supermarket sweep through oh, classic yes. football shirts again. Um, does that make you Dale Winton? It does, I think. It does. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, I probably am the you know Dale Winton of classic football shirts. You know, Think of me as your personal shopper, your friendly personal shopper. Yes, please. And I've got a few pieces here for you that I okay. think you'll appreciate. So, mm-hmm. item number one. 1998-1999 Middlesbrough home shirt Gascoigne number 8 oh, excellent yes. condition double XL it's my, tailor my size <laughs> 48 <laughs> to 50 inch chest condition details this is where classic football shirts come into their own the, the, the details are fantastic bright colours crest is stitched a rarer logo and sponsor are printed within the material couple of tiny pulls and bobbles otherwise nice material feel Print is great. Teammates of Gaza when he wore this shirt. Branca, Fester, mm. Townsend, Pallister, mm. Brian Dean. Features of the shirt. Official player size, Lextra Felt, Premiership print for legendary English playmaker Paul Gascoigne, number eight. So it's got Gaza number eight on the back. Notes. Home shirt as worn by Gascoigne when the side secured a mid-table finish, beating Manchester United along the way. Initially signed by former England teammate Brian Robson when Borough were closing in on promotion at the Premier League, this was Gaza's first full season back in the English top flight since leaving Mm. Spurs for Lazio in 1992. Perhaps the final campaign in which supporters would have a chance to see the rejuvenated playmaker at his dazzling best. Mm. Gascoigne made 26 appearances for Millsborough and put his name in the mix for an England recall. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's a great yeah. shirt. I think you'd like it. I could be wrong here, but I think that might have been the season. I could be wrong where he he elbowed George Boateng in the head broke and his broke arm. his arm. Mm. It might Maybe. have been that. It might have been that season. It feels a bit. I think it's one way he got a really nice free kick at the Dell, and he was and he was really close to it getting back in the England squad, but it never mm. happened. He scored anyway. a free kick against Chef Chef Wed that season, I think, Did in he? a four 0 win, and he yeah. also. I think it was that same season, Dan Petrescu dived at the riverside. So Gazza's picked the ball up from about 15 yards away and just zinged it straight off the back of his head while Petrescu's on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Gazza. We should, we should do an episode on Gazza, really, shouldn't we? We should. In fact, we will. Okay. Um, the second item I've got here for you is uh, John Newsom related. He is our mm, guest this week. Yes, so please. here we have a 1992-93 Leeds United away shirt XL uh, and it's it's an amazing away shirt. It's it's just so early nineties. You wouldn't believe is it. Yellow. It's it's blue with some mad yellow dripping on the shoulders <laughs> and the, and the torso. It looks like teletext is like scrambled. Um, okay. And what's interesting about this is it's uh, made by Admiral and uh, it's sponsored by them as well. Just double 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 dip there, Admiral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bright colours, minimal wear to the badges. Sponsor is printed within the material. Few small bobbles and pulls. Otherwise, nice material feel. Worn by Chapman, Strachan, Cantona, Batty, and Tommy Dorigo. What all at the same time? <laughs> yeah, well, no, this is not, this is what they were it's wearing as their away shirt. Mm. Uh, classic design away shirt as worn when the side were reigning league champions but finished just two points clear of the relegation in 17th place um, 
By the way, I forgot to mention the price of the Gaza shirt. It's the same yeah. as the price of this shirt. It's under 100 quid. It's £99.99. pence. But the shiny pot at checkout, even cheaper. Mm-hmm. So there you go. The last piece I have for you, um, again, it's John Newsom related. It is the last shirt he would have ever played in. It's the 99-2000 Chef Wed Home shirt. But this one has Carboni 8 on the back. Mm-hmm. Again, excellent condition. Double XL. Bright colours, crest is stitched, Puma logo, sponsor and print are great for the age, nice material feel. Teammates, Des Walker, The Build, Alexanderson, Andy Booth, Hinchcliffe. Oh. Uh, official player size, Lextra Felt Premiership printing for technically gifted Italian attacker Benito Carboni. Oh, Carboni. Yeah. Loved him. Home shirt as worn by Carboni when the side suffered relegation from the Premiership, having formed a much-celebrated strike force alongside fellow Italian schemer Paolo Di Canio. Carboni mm-hmm. lost his partner, who, after serving a 10-game suspension for pushing ref Paul Alcock, then moved to West Ham. It was not long after that Carboni would move himself move on himself to Aston Villa, who, who came calling for the unsettled striker who had only played eight games in 1999-2000 for the Owls. So great Puma shirt. 99,000. Again, 100 quid. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's three little items for you. I tell you what, having that little bit of info in the background, is it really sort of teases me into, oh, go on, I'll have another look. But there's only so many times a day I can look at the website. Well, there's half a million shirts on, on there for you, so there's, you'll mm. find something. You'll find mm. something. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, we uh, did a little quiz, but uh, you were taking uh, so long, we had to yeah. wrap it up early. So I thought we could finish that off. I mean, we're not, fittingly. Oh, well, fittingly, you've finished on Middlesbrough, and we can resume on Newcastle. So there's a bit of synergy there with our, okay. our two loves. So right. sponsors of club shirts in the 90s, starting with mm-hmm. Newcastle. Go. Um, now then, Newcastle Brown Ale. Yes. The Blue Star, is that McEwen's? Yes, yes. Exclusively okay. exclusively lager for Newcastle in the, uh, in the 90s. Is that it? Got Just those two? Get Norwich. Were they Norwich Union back then? They probably weren't. Ooh. Or were they... Yeah. Le- not Lotus. Nah. They were Lotus. Nor- go on, what you say. Norwich. Norwich. It's Norwich and Peterborough. Remember that? No, I do not remember it's, that. It may be insurance. Uh, Forest. Oh, my God. Forest. Right, Forest in 92, 93 had a different sponsor um, on their home like and away ship. Pinnacle. Yes. Is that there? Yes. 1999. <laughs> oh, what a guess. <laughs> um, Canadian lager for the mid-90s. Is there a Canadian lager? Mm. It's nice, actually. I'm not never going to get it. Labatt's. Oh God, I've not even heard of it. And then I reckon you might you might know this because I know you're a Cluffy fan, and this just reeks of Cluffy, not literally, but maybe literally. Shipstones, bitter. No bitter. So they so Shipstones sponsored Forest's home shirt in ninety two ninety three, and their away shirt was Labatt's. Which is unusual. Hmm. We'll move on. Oldham Athletic. Not like Amiga. It's not another Amiga one, is it? I, I can picture high like street, high street sports shop. Sports Direct. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> the other one, the better one. Uh, JD. Yeah, that's wow, it. Back, have they been going that long? Yeah, that was early nineties. Obviously, when Oldham were in the prem. Yeah. QPR. Oh, they've got a great sponsor. Uh, honestly, oh man. This is it's amazing that this is their sponsor. This just doesn't make for a good podcast because I can't. I'm trying to picture a shirt, which is me just being silent. Again, right? You're going to kick yourself. I'll give you a clue for the the mid 90s. Just a classic 90s PC company. 
So you've done the computer one to me before, and it. Yeah. Go on. I'm, I'm past. Compaq. Ah, oh, yeah. Compaq. I can picture it. I but can picture it now. Guess, guess who that sponsor was in ninety two, ninety three? Classic FM. <laughs> <laughs> right, Sheffield United. No idea. Lever. Oh, again, I can see it now. I just. Right. I can't you tell you how to... hard this is to be put on the spot. I nearly gave this away when I was. Discussing shirts earlier. Chef Weird. Well, Chef Weird had Sanderson's for a while. Yes, that's it. One sponsor. They okay. were loyal. Ten seasons. They, uh, I think they later moved on to Chupa Chups in the 2000s, <laughs> which I thought was a great sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you got to get this, this one. Southampton. Well, they had Sanderson's as well. They did. That's one. At the turn of the... Did they have an insurance one at the turn of the yes. millennium? I think they did, yes. <sighs> mm. Again, I'm just conscious of the listener having... Better things to oh, do than the listener will be screaming at you. They'll scream. They're shouting, "Friends, provident." Oh God! Provident. Yeah. Oh, and then you, I can picture it all over the stadium as well. I know. You also, you're a disgrace for not getting the first two. Oh, uh, Southampton. Um, yeah. What would Latis have worn? I can only picture him in Sanderson. Um, what would Maddow have worn? Same. Don't know. Go on. Pass. Draper tools. Ah, oh, see that. See that's just before my time, really. Dimplex. Oh, God knows what that is. Right. Okay, Sundland. Sundland had a beer. Yeah. You better believe it. Uh, oh, we should, I should, now I should get this because we talk, we've talked about it before. It's a Wearside-based brewery as well, I think. Oh, I've never even been there. No, of course I have. Um, no, go on. Vaux Breweries. Oh, God. Also, car dealership. I hope it's Nissan. I don't think it is. No, oh, oh, hang on, hang on a minute, hang oh, on a minute. What? A car dealership. Um, oh, again, Matthew, this, this is, is not a good. Po- this is, this is not good podcasting. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. With you. You Reg Vardy. I mean, these are these brands even still around? Reg Vardy. I, think, I, think I mean, that's what. It's, Tot- it's got Tottenham. like it's one garage in. Something. I'm not even going to ask you Swindon's because you'll just not get it. Tottenham is Hewlett Packard. Yes, and that's, a beer. And a car, car, car. Come on, Holston p- pills. Yes, yes, a Holston. Yeah. Um, oh, Hang on, Swindon. Swindon. Yeah. What's to start it. with? B. What's the second letter? <laughs> you. No, nah, no idea. Burma. Burma. Yeah, Burma. Yeah. Right. Joel can edit that. Only a couple what? more of these to go. Listen, I promise. Watford. Watford. They so they what? they came into the Premier League right at the end of the nineties, nineteen ninety nine. Were they like phones for you or something? Yes, well they were. Done. See, yeah, there it is in there. It's deep in there. West Ham. West Ham. <sighs> I'm not enjoying this. I'm just not enjoying this one little bit. Local car company. Uh, uh Dagenham Motors. Yes. Okay. And then shoes. Doc Martins. Yes. <laughs> right, last one. Then we must Wimbledon Elonics. Put the yes, and <laughs> oh, two others. Oh, um, one <laughs> one was very small. Oh, um, tiny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then the others. I don't know if this was the radio, the radio station. Three letters. No, no clue. LBC. Oh, thank God that's over with. Yeah. Um. And, and we've just lost our last listener as well. So that's so. Good night. We can probably finish there, can we? Everyone's yes. Turned off. Here comes part two. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs>
So we've gone full circle here. We're back at where we started the podcast in the 96-97 season, which is the season of our focus. And looking through the, the sticker book, there's some big characters in that squad. Um, there's also some big names that don't have stickers in the book. So we mentioned at the start Benito Carbone, who I loved as a player. Can you tell us a bit about Benito or Benny? Benny, yeah, Benny came. Benny was a, a, a young, uh, naive, um, lovely... Italian, young young Italian man, uh, boy, didn't speak a word of English, and I mean not a word <laughs> of English, um, and like I said, very very young and naive, and 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 but what a what a great footballer, you know, ultra talented. Felt a bit sorry for him really because I think he was a little bit lost, so I took sort of like took him under my wing a little bit, and I got a friend who who uh, who really you know took him under his wing, spoke a bit of Italian, and uh, and. And and yeah, and he settled, and he and he did really, really well for us. Did really, really well, and I think everything changed when Paolo signed. I think when Paolo came into town, he he saw that there was another way of of behaving and and another way of of living your life, really. And and he and Benny sort of like copied, tried copying Paolo a little bit, I think, and suddenly wanted to become this, you know, a bit of a rebel or. You know, a bit quite outspoken, and and that wasn't that wasn't him when he first arrived. He he really was like a real, you know, he's from the a tiny village in this in the south of Italy, and um, it was it was a complete different kind of character to to Paolo, uh, but 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 an incredible footballer. Can you tell us then about Paolo? Because I know he came a bit later, but another huge huge character, and you know, I can imagine the whirlwind of him coming into the dressing room was was an interesting one. Talk to us about that. Were you on the pitch when he pushed the referee? Any of the other mad capers that he got up to? We'd love to hear some stuff about Di Canio. Yeah, it was. Um, so, so he came in, and I, I remember he, you know, he was covered in tattoos, and he was all bronzed up, and uh, and he was telling us how he wasn't fit enough. He, you know, he needed to work harder. He needed to get his fitness back before you could see the best of Paolo. So. <laughs> Over and over, honestly, over and above everything, he was the ultimate, ultimate professional. You know what I mean? He he, he worked incredibly hard. He he was he was fit. He was strong. Yeah, just a real great, good character. Obviously, he was fiery. He was hot headed. You know, we we had a few run-ins, like you do. But what he could again, what he could do with the football was was incredible. You know, one of what and and you know, we started the podcast early. He said, you know. Some of the best players I've ever played with. Well, Paolo is 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 up there with, you know, one of the best players I've ever played. So is Benito, you know, um, just in, just incredible to be able to, to you know, to train every day and play with those kind of guys. Another big player, metaphorically and physically, who I really liked, Kevin Pressman. I I think he should have played for England. I know he think I think he got a B cap. He was a bit unfortunate in that there was a lot a great crop of English keepers at, at the time. Great penalty taker as well. Do you think? Do you think he was good enough to play for England? Did you rate Kevin? Was he a bit overweight? You know, I'd love to hear about him. Yeah, KP. KP was my um, my room partner. So uh, yeah, uh, great goalkeeper. Yeah, unfortunate not to to get a, get the full full call up. I think because Chris Woods was there when I came back. You know, so Woodsy was there a bit, and obviously I played in front of Woodsy, another great goalkeeper, but. You wouldn't play in front of one and go, oh wow, he's he's like England goalkeeper and Prezi's not. You know what I mean? They were 
I thought Kevin Pressman was probably when I played in front of him was was maybe better than Woodsy was at the time or you know I know Woodsy was coming to the end of his career but so yeah yeah I thought yeah he, he was probably a bit unfortunate not to, not to get the call up and like like all goalkeepers they all you know they don't run around the pitch do they so you know they struggle with the weight a little bit keepers mm-hmm. and you know but uh, but great lad still see him now and again bump into him on the circuit and yeah always. Um, Always got lots of time for for Prezi. Mm. The, the penalty. And, and by the way, and that, what, what a, and what a left foot! Yeah, that, the, 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 he took a couple, didn't he? And he it was just like a goal kick into the top <laughs> corner. Yeah, not 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 dislike Harry Maguire's on yeah. Sunday. You know what I mean, I'm going to put it down. I've picked my spot, and I'm going to smash it. And that's what he did. And he could. And he, I mean, he got a great left foot. He could put his foot through it. I think. Um, I think ninety seven, ninety eight was the was the season Tacanio was banned for, for pushing the ref. Were you involved that day? And in, in, I wasn't. I was. Fallout? I was sat behind. I, I think I was. Um, I think I was injured. Uh, so I was sat behind the dugout when it happened, and we couldn't believe it. We were like, "He's gone down in installments." That referee, you know what I mean? You <laughs> sprinted you know backwards. I mean? Yeah, Threw you know what I mean. And, and then, and then he had a bit of a ding dong with um, with Vieira and. And then Winterburn came over and he threatened Winterburn who who jumped out of his skin and and then by the time the game had finished, Paolo had gone. So really straight I think we, which I think was quite clever of him really, because you imagine what the press would have been and you know what I mean, he would he wouldn't have got out he wouldn't have got out of the stadium. So I think while the game was continuing, he had a shower and he got in his car and disappeared. And um that was held against him, I think, by the club and and the then chairman, who was Dave Richards, who I don't know, you know, he he he's now on the on the, the the board of chairman or managers, and you know, I think he got his eye on an FA job, and I think the club felt, I think that maybe the chairman felt that he'd got to be seen to deal with the situation because maybe he got one eye on 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 this FA job, so so yeah, there was a there was quite a bit of. Quite a bit of like, you know, to and fro in really. He got an eleven game ban. I mean, that is ridiculous. That seems way too harsh. He just tapped the referee. Yeah. Like. What, what? What did? What did? What did Cantona get for? Yeah. Kung Fu in. I think he got about the similar, didn't he? You know, Kung yeah. Fu, Kung Fu kicking a a supporter in the chest with his studs, and 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 Paolo got. And that's why I say I think I think you know me personally I think that. It was right, you know. We've got to be seen to. I mean, he was banned. He was suspended from the training ground. I think he went back to Italy. We didn't see him for weeks, uh, and then when he came back, he trained by himself. He had, he had a he had a personal trainer come in and and did his fitness work on his own. And he'd proper fallen out with the club and 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 you know um, and, and and the thing about Paolo, Paolo's a, a, a very intelligent person, very very intelligent young man, you know. So he knew. How to play the game? He knew how to manipulate the situation, and 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 for the best of Paolo, and and I can't blame him for that because I know how football works, and I know how how football clubs will manipulate the situation for the best of their you know ability, really. So, so yeah, I I can't you know I can't I can't blame him for what he did. Interesting, interesting stuff. Obviously, John, this is a podcast about the nineties probably my ultimate hero of the 1990s as a Newcastle fan and as someone who played in goal was Pavel Cernicek and he actually came to Chef Wed 
and you probably crossed paths with Pav, the late great Pavel Cernicek. Do you remember Pav? How, how, what was he like? A, a great athletic, big character in the dressing room, I'd have thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great guy, Pav. Uh, big character. Um, I always, I always mention his name because, and again, it's quite right, quite prevalent, really. When when we talk, people talk about you know scoring penalties. And you get the old, oh, you know, I can a professional footballer not score a penalty from 12 yards. Well, Pavel Cernicek could dive past the post <laughs> either side from a standing start. So when we used to take penalties in, when we take penalties in training and like, you know, you might, you maybe have a eight aside game and you, you know, you'd be working hard and blah, and the score was level at the end. We'd all be like, oh, come on, let's have a pen, penalty competition. And, and there'd be some real, you know, bragging rights on it. And you know when you had to take one against Pav, let me tell you, you got you got inches to to stick it in, you know. So it's 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 not like taking it on the parking, you know, with some fat kid who's had twelve pints the night before in in goalie, you know. He was he was a real real athlete and a real yeah, you know, big big strong guy uh, and a really lovely guy as well. I mean, it's devastating yeah. to yeah. hear what happened when you yeah. know when he passed and you know really really was sad. But yeah, yeah, got real fond memories of the guy. Yeah, I'd love to see Pressman versus Cernicek from twelve yards. That would be a great meeting. Of <laughs> I'm sure. You know what? I'm, you know what? I'm sure we had that in training on more than one occasion. In all honesty, um, there's two or three other overseas players that we'd like to run by you. The first one being Vim Yonk. I think I'm saying that correctly. Mm. Um, what was he like? Obviously, a, a Dutch midfielder. I read that he was quite frequently injured, but had this clause in his contract that. He got paid £7,500 per game he missed. Have you ever heard that one before? I've not heard that one before, no. It uh, doesn't surprise me with the... Um, so Vim, yeah, came in. I mean, what a history, you know what I mean? What a back catalogue of, you know, World Cup, international centre midfielder. You know, didn't, didn't, didn't do anything at the football <laughs> club. You know, came in, and, you know. Uh, I think at that time as well, the... <laughs> I would say that was probably the worst dressing room that I played in or was involved in. Yeah, yeah, that that was very clicky, very... very uh, that was a broken dressing room, that that really was, yeah. And it was, you know, crazy things. I, mean, I remember we, we signed... Because um, I think there was Vim Young, there was Gerald Sibon, mm. and there was Gilles de Bilder. Yeah, he was the next player. All signed at the yeah. time. And I think, I think Gilles de Bilder had a clause in his contract that he didn't train on a Monday because he got... <laughs> He got two big bull mastiff dogs or something in Belgium, and I, I, honestly, and after a game on a Saturday, he used to fly back to Belgium. So, and then he'd come back on the Tuesday for training. So, John, we're coming to really the end of the nineties now, which is, as far as we're concerned, is when football ended. Um, your your career also concluded around about this time. Again. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I hate to do this to you, but looking at the stats, was one of your last games in the Premier League the 8-0 defeat at St James's Park, Bobby Robson's first game? That was my last game of football. It. Was it? Unbelievable. Yeah. I was at the game. Uh, that's incredible. I, I, don't, I don't think I was. <laughs> <laughs> you played the full 90 minutes. Well, they say you're as good as your last game, don't they? So what's that <laughs> no. tell you? <laughs> what um, a mad day. Yeah, I uh, oh mate, yeah, yeah. I, I'd put a, I'd put a transfer request in that week. Um, I was at loggerheads with the manager Danny Wilson. Um, 
because he kept playing me at right back and I was like, Little, mate, I'm not a right back. I'm six foot four. You know when you're first, you're 20, 21, 22 and you get an opportunity to play in the first team and they say, play right back, you're all over it, aren't you? But, you know, I'm a centre-back. You know, centre-back, played up, played most of my career as a centre-back. And he said, and he kept saying to me, because I said to him, like, you know, if you don't, if you don't fancy me, if you don't want to play me, which you obviously not, because you're playing people in front of me, I don't have an issue with that. But let me go and further my career somewhere else. And he was like, No, no, you're in my plans. You're playing Saturday. I was like, Well, but don't, I don't want don't play me right back. You know, if if you want to play me centre back, great. But otherwise, don't play me right back. And I remember that week we'd done loads of work. I wasn't playing. We'd done 11 v 11s on the pitch. Stephen Aslan was playing fullback. I'd been to see him and said, "Look, you know, I'm not happy. I want to leave. I'm I'm hardly playing football. I think I think the the previous season I'd been fit all season. I'd played something like six games of football. You know, you you won't play me in the reserves. You won't let you, you know. I'd I'd gone out on loan to Bolton and had a really good month at Bolton. They wanted to sign me. Wouldn't sell me." Birmingham came in for me, wouldn't let me go there. It was just like stifling my career, really. And so it ended up becoming in. I went in and gave him a transfer request and he said, no, no, you want to take that back, you want to take that back because, you, you know, you, you might be playing, you're in my plans on, on Sunday. And I said, well, don't play me at right back, play me at centre back. So then all, like I say, all week we'd done work and I wasn't playing. And then an hour before kick-off, he names a team, Kevin pressed me in goal, John, John Newsom right back. And I was like... I'm taking a piss, mate, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Really are. And then after about 25, 30 minutes, I got a whack on my knee, which was really painful. But I think we were 4-0 down at half-time. So I came off at half-time, it's called the physio. It was like World War Three in there. There was all sorts going off. Uh, and I just felt, really, I should never have played on. But I just felt that if I... If I said, look, I'm injured, I need to come off, I think I think it had been thrown at me that I was like trying to get out of the way, I was bottling it or, you know. Um, so I didn't, I just stayed on. I just stayed on and played played the 90 minutes um, and that was it. I, n- I never played football again. Do, do you think staying on did you some long-term damage? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I got, I got damage to the bone, whether that, that was exaggerate by staying on it it's a question I, I i'll never know the answer to really but but yeah that's that that was it and and you know to begin with they said oh you know it, it was just they thought it was inflammation in a like a like a fat pad under my knee and that kind of thing and it went on and on and the pain wouldn't go away and they eventually had a, an operation and they went in and they realized that i'd got like bone damage to my kneecap and to my femur uh, so they tried repairing it and, and then had another operation a bit later on. And, and eventually the surgeon just said, look, you, you, there's there's literally nothing we can do. You you know, you, you're done. You're going to have to hang your boots up. That was it. Amazing. Wow, John, I was at your last game. It was an honour. It was an honour to be there. I've got to be honest. See, <laughs> I, I can't say it was an enjoyable day. No, no, no absolutely know. not. But, uh, but I, I do remember it well. So... So what was the chain of events from that conversation with a, a medical person who says you, you're going to have to find a new career? Well, the hard bit was that I was trying to get fit. I'd had a couple of operations. They they thought that the, the operations would work. My contract was coming to, to an end. Uh, and the football club, Sheffield Wednesday, said that 
what we want you to do is we, after this second operation, we want you to you know go away, take your break for a couple of weeks, come back and then train through the summer and try and get fit. And we'll support you. We'll give you a, a week-to-week contract. And if you get fit, you promise to, to sign for the club because your contract's up. And I said, you know, if you're willing to support me and, and, and let me do my rehab through the summer, I'll I'll sign for you as long as I want because, you know, one good turn deserves another in, in my book. Um, so I was willing to do that. Uh, unfortunately, I went away on holiday and when I came back off holiday, they'd sent me a letter to say that they were terminating my contract and, and that was me done. Yeah, so I went to see... Um, I went to see the surgeon again, told him what, what had happened, etc. And he just said, look, you know, you're not, you know, you're not going to play football again. And that was it. And I think the club, Sheffield Wednesday, was struggling financially at the time. And they, yeah, they, they, they pulled a few fast ones on me, really, you know. So, so yeah, left, left a bit of a bit of a sour taste, in all honesty, for, for quite a while. You know, the club that you've played for and you've got injured. I asked them for a benefit game. They won't. They won't give me a benefit game. Said um, said no. We you know we give you a testimonial if you've been here ten years. You've only you've only been here eight years as a pro, so you're not having one of them. Yeah, I had wranglings with them about uh, you know I got I got, I got career ending insurance and there was a a bit of an issue with that as well. So you know I was promised a certain amount and then when it came to it that I actually got half of what I was promised. Uh, and when we sort of like bro- well, broached it with them, the club secretary turned around to me and said, well, you didn't get anything in writing, did you? So bad luck. So, yeah, it was all it was all a bit all a bit bitter and, and, and a, a bit wrong, I think, mm. at the end, you know. I think that happens quite often, actually. You often hear about players who get... Yeah, well, you've just took the words out of my mouth, you know, that's why, that's why I said to you a little bit earlier, you know, Paolo was going to, you know, when Paolo Di Canio left, he was going to make sure he looked after himself because football clubs will 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 eat you up and spit you out. And, and I know the pendulum's changed and it's swung the other way and, and the players have all the power now. But um, for, for many, many years, the clubs have had, you know, did have way too much power, I think. And and there's a lot of, lot of players out there who've, who've, who've been trapped badly, really. Mm. Do you know I'm I'm a Borough fan, and Stuart Downing's told stories about how he's his him leaving Borough. So I think even today it still happens where players are sort of shown the door in a yeah. you know an yeah. unfriendly way. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you're a commodity. Mm. You're a commodity, and when you when you are no longer any use to that football club, you know, you're not worth anything, and that's the realities of it. That is the realities of it, and 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 you know, and you know, supporters talk about uh, loyalty and. And, and people say there is no loyalty in football, and there isn't. The only people who are loyal in football are supporters, and be, be, and that's because they're emotionally involved and emotionally attached to the club, you know. And I I was emotionally attached to Sheffield Wednesday as a supporter, but when it became my job, my John Newsom, the supporter of Sheffield Wednesday, is a different person to John Newsom, the footballer, you know, because it's your job. It's you know, it's it's how it works and. Um, and I think people have to realise that, you know, and it's hard for supporters because, you know, they feel that everybody should be emotionally attached to the club, but it, it, it's it's a business, it's it's your it's your job, it's your working life, and and that's how football clubs look at it as well. You're a commodity, and when you're not no longer any use, you know, you're out the door. You've you've played for some big clubs, and you've made an impact by the looks of it, all of those clubs. Which is the best club you've played for? Oh wow! How do you answer that? 
Um, well, my heart obviously says Sheffield Wednesday because I was a Sheffield Wednesday supporter and I, you know, played in my my boyhood. It was a dream to play for them. Um, Leeds because we won the title and you know they're a great club they still look after me now you know I go back and work there on match days and and you know the affinity there but then I also loved my time at Norwich City you know and you know it was such a, an honour to be their record signing to captain the club and to be voted in their Hall of Fame and so so yeah I, I mean I, I can't I can't pick one of I can't pick one out really. Bolton, you know, I, you know, yeah, yeah, Bolton, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, and, but that, but you know what? That's the thing about, you know, people. You know, I, I get pelters off Sheffield Wednesday fans saying, "Oh, you know, you're supposed to be a Wednesday fan and you're going to Leeds games and you want Leeds to win," or, you know, it it's when it's when you've played for clubs. You know, I, listen, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan, honour. You know, you know, fans at Leeds always. Pick up on pick me up on it and say you know who do you, who do you support Wednesday or, or Leeds and I've never had a season ticket at Ellen Road but I had loads when I was a kid at Sheffield Wednesday so my club's Sheffield Wednesday isn't it but it doesn't stop me wanting Leeds to be successful and it doesn't want me to stop it doesn't stop me wanting Norwich to be successful you know what I mean and supporters find that hard because you know Leeds are like the enemy and but to me they're not because I played for them and. I've I've got a real soft spot for them, so it's it's really difficult to to pick one out. In mm. all honesty, who are your best pals in football? Who you're still in touch with? Um, who am I still in touch with? I still see Brian Gunn quite a bit. Match days when I do Leeds, Mel Sterland. Um, I still see Imri Verardi. I'm good pals with Chris Wilder, and we've got like a bit of. I play golf with Chris. Chris lives down the road, and I, I you know, his wife and my 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 girl, my partner, are real good friends. So we do. A bit so, but we, you know, there's there's quite a number of ex players who, who, you know, we get together and play a bit of golf together and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, uh, but but in terms of, you know, like real real close friends, all my real close friends are really probably non footballers, just just you know my pals from from way back when, and obviously I'm I'm back in the city that I was born in. So, so yeah, yeah. John, we ask every player. We are searching for shinies. The shiny was the most coveted sticker that you would try and collect when you were doing your sticker books. Who was your shiny player? This is the best player you've ever played with or against. Best player I ever played with would be Gordon Strachan. Oh. Yeah. 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 He's, I feel bad he, now he, for bringing up the own goal. <laughs> no, that's no, fine. <laughs> it's all fine. He's, his influence on the team and, 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 on, and on a game... Tony Dorigo always says that he, he never played against a right winger who dominated and dictated a game from right wing other than Gordon Strachan. And that's how good he was. So, yeah, so that was the one. Um, best player I played against was probably a uh, Gabriel Batistuta. Oh, that's a, that's a name. That's yeah, a name. Yeah, bit of a, bit of a name drop there, isn't there? Listeners, that was the brilliant John Newsom. I absolutely love that episode. One of the biggest things that struck me about the conversation was how early on the infamous Big Ron has basically cast him aside, sending him off to play low-league football, and then out of nowhere he signs for Leeds and wins what is the equivalent to the Premier League. I mean, he himself admitted to thinking he was going to go and play at a lower level, and then he's a medal round his neck. It's 
mental. It's almost unheard of. I mean, I was trying to think about this sketch in today's terms. The closest thing I can think of is Andy Robertson signing for Liverpool when he was relegated with Hull. But that was for eight million. Yeah. Like, big Ron, it's like, we should just let him go. So I remember at the time thinking, for, with the Robertson, that's not a very inspiring transfer, how wrong I was, but Newsom's on another level. The closest thing I can think of is the plot of the 1996 film When Saturday Comes, starring Sean Bean, Emily Lloyd, and Pete Postlethwaite, when Sean Bean's <laughs> character, Jimmy Muir, goes from working in a a Sheffield brewery playing for non-league mm. side Hallam FC to playing in Sheffield mm. United's first team against Man United. That's the only comparison I could draw. Yeah, no, you're right, but, actually. Uh, Good point. But yeah, anyway, listener, the 1997 Premier League sticker book, we're slowly getting there. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Season two, been a blast so far, but you know, if you want more shiny action, we're going to need your help. Can you connect us with any players? The entire book, that is available to you to view for free on our website searchingforshinies.com we won't charge you to view that uh, you can contact no, no. us there too for free or you can tweet us at the shiny pod or message us on instagram at the shiny pod or on facebook at the shiny pod at the time of recording uh, we're done there's no more interviews in the diary so we need some fresh blood some leads any player will do now we're going to throw the kitchen sink at this we don't mind what club we just want to meet more players like john newsome but mm. ideally Aston Villa players, Blackburn players, Coventry players, Everton players, Liverpool players and Man United players. Uh, yes, please. There's a classic football shirt in a four-year. We will buy anyone who connects us with a player. We get on the show a football shirt from classic football shirts worth up to £50. That's not a gimmick. That's something we will do as a gratitude of thanks to for you to bring us a 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book player. Uh, we also mm. want your anecdotes, your pictures. Yeah, football memorabilia pictures, pictures of you meeting players from the 1997 Premier League sticker book, maybe, so we can live vicariously through you. I was delighted this week to receive a, an anecdote for the Gaza special. Um, mm -hmm. Have you ever met Gaza, listener? Tell us the story. We want to read the best out on our forthcoming Gaza documentary. Other business to attend to is the five-star review business that we need. We need five-star reviews on iTunes. If you've enjoyed this episode, pay us back in stars via Apple. Send uh, the episode to your mate if they love the full Monty or Howard Wilkinson or uh, Kevin Pressman. Send them this episode. They'll, they'll absolutely <laughs> mm. love it. Uh, spread that 1997 shiny love. And last but not least, yes, Richie, you're going to have to do the end bit because we forgot to ask John to record it. So... Oh uh, dear. Okay. I'll tell you what. We'll I'll record a couple. You tell me which one you like best. I assume you want me to do it as an impression of John, so... <laughs> Keep it shiny. <laughs> Ooh, That's option one. Too deep. Here we go. Can go higher. Too deep, yeah? Keep it shiny. <laughs> ah, no, nah, that wasn't right, was it? Another one. Keep it shiny. <laughs> mm, I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy with it. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Keep it shiny. Keep. Leave it with me. Okay. Keep it shiny. Keep it shiny. <laughs> now, I'm John Newsome. Keep it shiny. It's good, but it's not the one. <laughs> <laughs> Right, come on. <laughs>